Are you overwhelmed by the relentless pace of life that somehow just keeps getting faster and more complicated than ever before? If you're a working parent with kids at home, there's no question that your day is a daily triage of competing demands. But somehow, even lives that don't have kids or bosses are consumed with computers breaking, healthcare battles, family obligations, the list never ends. Don't you just want to push pause on your life sometimes? I do. Well, today, for inspiration, I'm going to talk to one of the busiest and most impressive people I know to find out her secret to juggling life. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. And don't forget to rate and review us when this is done. And oh, hey, share this with others as well. And don't stop before the end because we have a special offer for you when we're done talking. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. And I'm so thrilled today to be talking to Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum. She's the former director of Women's Cardiovascular Health Prevention and Wellness at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. And just starting in the new year, she is launching her new SRS Heart Center, focusing on caring for women from the place of prevention and overall wellness, including the mind and the heart. That's going to be in New York and in California. Dr. Steinbaum is one of the most prolific and outspoken advocates for women's health in general and the importance of cardiac care for women in particular. You've no doubt seen her on one of her many appearances on major television networks, and she's one of Bottom Line's featured bloggers with her At the Heart of It All blog, which is available at bottomlineinc.com. She's also one of the busiest, hardest working people that I know as a doctor, a speaker, an author, a media expert, and all of this while being an amazing single mother to her 13-year-old son. You can learn more about Dr. Steinbaum and her very important work at SuzanneSteinbaum.com and her new center at SRSHeart.com. Suzanne, oh my gosh, you never cease to amaze me. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love talking to you, Sarah. Well, and the funniest thing, what do I say? The first time I, every, first thing I say every time I see you is, A, you amaze me, and B, how do you handle it all? And what I want to talk about today is... The juggling life. I mean, I think that everybody juggles and like life somehow has gotten busier and busier and busier. And you are a testament to what humans can do. And I think that I just like, I just want to talk about it. And I want people to hear your story and how you handle it and how they can be inspired to figure out how to juggle things in their lives. So that's our game today, because normally we don't do these kinds of podcasts here. Yeah, I mean, I I think that when we talk about diet and exercise and stress management, everyone looks at me and says, I don't have time for that. So I think it's really important that we actually start here before we even get to how do I take care of myself. It's true. And you know, there's one of the things, and we could talk about this later on. I mean, and that's a perfect point. Like everyone says, I can't do it. And one of the things that I've learned over the years, and again, your testament to this, we all have so much more capacity than we give ourselves credit for. And it's so easy to just go, I can't do it. But no, you can. And that's what I hope by the end of this conversation that they're all going, yeah, if they can do it, I can do it. Whenever anyone says to me, I don't have time to exercise, you know, there are moments I do say, I am a full-time cardiologist, single mother, and I exercise. So we can figure this out. Because if I could do it, I promise you anyone could do it exactly and we're going to get to where you snuck that in because it's a great way that you did it all right can you just let's start out and will you give just caught an overview of 
a day in the life of Suzanne Steinbaum. Like, just so that to give people the perspective, I gave them the intro, but literally, like, on any average day, what's your day and all the things that you're working through? You know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, it usually starts about 5.30, and I will get up, meditate, get in the shower. That's a little bit more meditation for me. The shower is my uh, place of thinking. And I will get breakfast together, feed the dogs, take care of the dogs, get my son up, get dressed myself, and we are out the door by 7.15, and I take him to school, um, drop him off, usually head to the office, and by 9.30 start seeing patients. Usually between 8 and 9.30 is a great time for me to write. And so any blogging, any posting, anything that I need to address from the media side of things, writing-wise, I do at that point. And then I start singing patients. On some days, I'll have some television things to do. I'll run to a studio or have cameras here. And um, I do that in between. Finish seeing patients, make phone calls, go through labs, and get done by all of that. Um, between 6.37, and then I will go exercise and get home to my son. We try and have dinner between, it's kind of late, it's a 7.30 to 8 o'clock deal. He has a snack till I get home. I have become very reliant on the lovely restaurants and uh, food sources in my neighborhood. I always say that um, I don't just live in New York. I, I exist and thrive here because of all of the infrastructure that allows me to be busy. Um, when I cook, I'm not a great cook. It's very simple. It's um, grilled and steamed and those sort of things. And we then do homework and he goes to bed, I stay up, and I write a little more and answer emails, and we start all over again. I'm exhausted. And the thing that's amazing, <laughs> and your son is 13. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you have done all of this without help, right? You did not have help when, you, when he was younger? I always had babysitters, but I never had someone sleeping in or living with us. I just had babysitters for when... He was home and or got home from school, but I didn't really have a lot of help um, being, you know, taking care of him. It was just sort of that that person who was with him and and taking care of him until I got home. And I was very lucky. I had some wonderful people who um, was part of our lives, and and one woman particularly who I value so much um be, just because i had peace of mind when she was around yeah but i mean i think was that a, a conscious decision also that you wanted to be certain that you were you know highly engaged in his life i mean with me i was very fortunate i had a great nanny but i was always present in my kids lives also and always at school and always you know being able to be part of their lives and their homework and the school activities and stuff yeah, I didn't really want help. I mean, I wanted to be a full-time mom and a full-time cardiologist and a full-time exerciser and a full-time everything. 
So I just kind of wanted to do it on my own. And I really made sure that my help was minimal because I wanted to do it. Um, when he was little, I used to hand make his baby food and I would stay up. <laughs> when I think back on this, this was wacky. I would stay up peeling vegetables and steaming them and blending them. And, you know, I did that till two in the morning, which oh seems God. crazy. But um, I've always, always been really hands-on with him, always at school. Um, for everything he's done at every single soccer game, unless I had to travel for something. But I organize my travel so I can be at his soccer games. Um, yeah, I've been there from the beginning, really hands-on. So how much do you sleep a night? You know, I really have to say, I talk about sleep as being such an essential part of living a heart-healthy life. And every time I talk about this, I feel super hypocritical um, because, you know, that's not my strong point, but I, I'm working on it, definitely. Um, <laughs> All right, I won't make you give a number. But I find everybody's got a set point, though, too, right? I mean, some people are 10-hour sleepers and some people are 5-hour sleepers. Yeah, I don't think I require that much sleep, to be honest with you. Um, my eyes waking up, wake just open after 5 hours. I, I'm a kind of a 5-hour sleeper. But I'm not saying that's healthy, but right. that's kind of where we're at. Well, let me ask you a question as a doctor. I mean, is it the more physically fit that you are, the less sleep you can handle as well? I don't think that's necessarily true. I was trying I to give you a, an out. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, was tr I was going I for it. I was trying to help you. <laughs> I think that everyone is different. I think there are people that can't function with five hours of sleep. I know that if I have less than five hours of sleep, I have a hard time talking. So for me, that five hours, my sweet spot, there are times I'm so tired. I have slept nine, 10 hours and I feel completely not like drugged out, you know, groggy and not okay. So I, I probably would do better at what's recommended, which is seven and a half hours. But um, that really hasn't been something I've been able to figure out. Yeah, although I'm going to give you another bailout because you mentioned that you meditate. And in fact, you're the one that inspired me to start meditating. And that makes a huge difference in terms of the, you know, brain rest that, and the kind of coherence of, of my head. Yeah, I mean, I forgot to mention before I go to bed, um, <laughs> I do meditate at night as well. And... I think that actually was a game changer for me in terms of my ability to really focus and to be very definitive about decisions. I don't waste a lot of time on things that I don't have time to waste. I, I know what I like. I know what's important. I know how I think. I don't question myself. I respond to things fairly quickly and definitively and then move on from those decisions instead of perseverating over things, which I know sometimes can happen. I think I used to be more like that. Meditation sort of took that away from me for whatever it's worth. It's, and um, it's really been very, very helpful in terms of energy and focus, I would say. And actually getting rid of some of that anxiety of, did I do the right thing? I don't have that as part of me, which I think a lot of us do. And so there's a lot of wasted energy that I don't have in my life. Yeah, I mean, I just find that 
when everything is buzzing around and you just feel that, you know, everywhere you turn that something else is coming at you, be it a phone call you have to make now in the holidays, all those sorts of like, no, I got to do this. No, I got to do that. The freneticness. And yet when you meditate, it lets everything, the whole neurological system just calms itself and so much easier to deal with all those things, even though you still have to deal with them, but in a much more solid way rather than being like buzzing. I think you're right. It's not frenetic. And and for me, I always think about my energy expenditure. I mean, we only have a certain amount of energy that we can give out during the day. And I think that meditation has really helped me in terms of using my energy for things that I need and not waste it on that frenetic energy or that anxiety or that mania that you might feel with 900 things on your list. Um, It's just not there. Yeah. So I think that I'm not as exhausted because of it. You know, I have a lot more energy to do a lot more things. Yeah. Now, the other thing that strikes me when you were going through your day, that your ability to concentrate and compartmentalize, I mean, that I'm going to write from eight to nine or I'm going to do whatever in those different boxes. And I know I'll go home and I'll work at night, but sometimes I don't feel like editing. Sometimes I don't feel like doing the work that I need to do. Yet you seem to have a tremendous ability to say, I'm going to write right now, or I'm going to, you know, make my phone calls now. I really have found that these are my choices and no one is sitting there and making me write or making me do anything. But if I want to do this, if this matters to me, I've got to figure it out. And these things matter to me enough that I've learned to be, in the moment as best I can in everything I do. So if I'm with patients, I'm 100% with patients. When I'm with my son, I'm 100% with my son. And it's really about that focus and that compartmentalization that you talk about. I think that has really created sort of this structure that allows me to be present, that allows me to be in the moment. And it's important. I think that um, I was actually the other day writing a blog for Bottom Line, and I wasn't exactly sure exactly what I wanted to say, but I, I had in my head what mattered to me and what to get on the page, and all it took was really just being focused and being in that moment, and I think it honestly took me 20 minutes to write it, um, just being present and just giving yourself that space to think is so important. It's when we're multitasking and we're trying to do so many things all at once when we get caught up in not being able to get done what we need to. Yeah, you know, I've talked with other people um, about the wasted energy and the, you know, I've always, I've always prided myself on multitasking and juggling and I'm really buying into the fact that it just doesn't exist and you just can't do it effectively. And that the amount of time wasted switching tasks and getting kind of now focused in one place versus another, I could have done a whole other thing in that period of time. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, in the office, it's a little different for me because it's patients and calls and emails and I do have to switch gears often, but I'm very present in those gears and I will sort of mentally shut down one task before I open the next one 
mentally. And it's not like typing and talking to a patient, which is really what's required of us nowadays, I guess, with electronic medical records. But I will talk to that patient and then I will type and really try to sort of internalize exactly what this person is saying to me before I go to the next task, which is typing it up. Um, I, I think for me, I need to have that space to be very, very present and very focused in order to do whatever it is I need to do to the best of my ability, in my opinion. That, that feels more comfortable for me. Well, and it's been very effective. Let's talk about with, with your son. So you had told me, you know, with filling in the gaps, that you found a great way to exercise because you know, when he was young, you were, you'd maximize your time. You would exercise when he was at, at sports practice. So when he was really little, I would say every night we had a dance party and I would turn on disco and dance with him and I would be like sweating. I would, you know, jump around the house and he would follow me and it got to the point where he was like, dance party. And I was like, oh, thank goodness, I get to exercise tonight. So (laughs) I always incorporated him in any activity. I think one of the funniest things that happened, he was a baby. I mean, he might've been 10 months old and we went to the pediatrician and I put him down on the treatment table for her to examine him and he picked up his arms and he started going, uh, 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 and she's like, what is he doing? And I was so embarrassed because he was doing sit-ups. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was fabulous. Um, but you know, he would go to soccer practice and I'd bring him and just wear my workout clothes and go for a jog. Um, I, I always tried to just get in that exercise wherever I could. Um, any, like I said, the focus has always been on him, but if he was around, then I would do things with him that was fun for him. So he used to have a scooter and he would be on his scooter while I'd be running. Um, I always made sure that he was part of that exercise piece. And now he's this major athlete. Um, I'd like to believe it's because I, I threw an exercise in his life from, from the beginning, but I don't think that's really true. I, you know what? I don't think so. I think that role modeling, they always talk about the importance of role modeling and you really made that an important part of his life. So I'm going to give you credit for that, mom. Um, he actually made a great comment to you. Again, you're talking about how in the midst of all your juggling, he always knew that he was number one and that he was, that you were there, you were available to him and that he knew it wasn't like you worked Oh, and you had a kid that you tucked in. It wasn't like, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer. What was the movie with George Clooney? One Fine Day where she's like handing off the kids and doing all that. Like he always knew that he was number one with you. And he said yeah. something great to you recently. I, I said to him um, really recently, you know, Spencer, I was working your whole childhood. You know, I've been working like this. Did you feel like I was around? And he looked at me like, you were always around, (laughs) like rolling his eyes in his head, like, Mom, I wish you weren't around so much. Um, I was so, and and still am, uh, so involved in what he's doing, always was emailing the teachers. I wasn't the mom who was hanging out at the school, but I was always the mom that was 
really making sure that he was okay. You know, I, I always say my time hasn't been leisure time, so I didn't get to hang out and have coffee with the other moms and do some of those other things that I think would have been really nice to do. But I, I would go up to the classroom and talk to the teacher and just say, hey, how's he doing? Is there anything we need to do? You know, I, I always made myself present and available. And um, I think that, <laughs> as he said, nope, you were there constantly, all the time, <laughs> you know, still are. So I, I loved hearing that from him. He never felt like I was this unavailable working mom. That is so important. Now, did you ever have guilt? Because even though he always felt president and you knew how much you were doing, somehow, you know, there was always some other mom that made the handmade Valentine's or whatever. Like I knew that I went through my phases of I'm doing so much. And yet there was always kind of this twinge of like, but I'm not as good as that one. Or I had a little guilt of maybe I should have been doing something else. Did you ever have guilt with all that you were juggling? you know you of course and I to this day to this day I always have that piece of me that's like I don't even know what's going on and I wish and I feel so badly and guilty that I am not the mom that's on the PPA or even knows what I'm supposed to be doing like I feel like I'm never doing the right thing and I think that's really normal and you know I, I remind myself Somewhere along the line, someone said there was this work-life mommy balance thing. There is absolutely no such thing. You just can't. And if you believe that you can actually balance all of this, you are going to drive yourself bananas. It's impossible. And so what I've learned is that there is a work-life compromise, that I am not perfect. I cannot be perfect. Nothing is perfect. And that I am going to compromise on what isn't ultimately going to matter. That what matters the most is that I am present for him, not if I bake cookies or I buy them from the store and bring them to school. You know, that's not going to matter. Um, And I've learned that in compromising, a lot of those compromises sometimes feel uncomfortable, but you have to put in your mind and, and really stratify what matters the most. And always, always remember that. Because at the end of the day, a lot of the little things, they don't matter. Um, you know, it didn't really matter on some level whether I folded his laundry or not. He, who cares when he was a baby? You know, I remember one day seeing him and one of his little shirts was wrinkled. And I thought to myself, I'm the worst mother in the world. And two seconds later, I thought, no, I'm not. He just has a wrinkled shirt. You know, perspective here. It was fine. And I think that we're not perfect. But we can be as, as, as good as we can be. And just to remember to keep these things into perspective. That's so important. So do you think I watch some of these mothers and I hear some stories where they obsess about what their kid is wearing? Right, and they'll lay out their kids' clothes every day, or they'll obsess about whether their kid has the warmest coat on in the winter or whatever. And I never worried about any of that. Like I worried about their safety, but then if my kid wanted to wear plaids and stripes, I didn't care. 
and that you know so is there an aspect of like letting go of some of the crazy time requirements that people place on themselves absolutely you know i i think it's healthy for all of us to have a purpose and a passion outside of ourselves and our kids we put too much pressure on ourselves and too much pressure on our kids when we don't have something outside of us and i think that it becomes really challenging for everybody, certainly as kids grow older and certainly when they leave the house, um, where do we go from there kind of thing. I think that the emphasis need not be on things that ultimately don't make a difference. Um, but where do you put that energy and, and what do you do with that? And I think that becomes really important. But that's a question that everyone needs to ask themselves. I don't think what I'm doing is for everybody, nor should it be, you know, but everyone needs to find their own place in this world and and live it from a, a place of, of really passion. Not only does that prevent heart disease and help you live longer, it's, um, it's important. And, and I, as I throw this out, you, you have a decreased incidence of heart disease and you live longer. It's amazing to think that how you live your days, you know, living your days, thinking of other things, doing for other people, being passionate about what you do actually changes your life expectancy. And that's powerful. That's a powerful thing to say. So the minutia of what your child is wearing, although I have to be honest with you, I do love to dress my son when he lets me. Well, you love um, clothes. You always I, look great. I, I, it, I always say, you know, I think I got rid of my Barbie dolls too soon. But <laughs> you were arrested yeah. at the Barbie doll stage of development. Yes, exactly. So I, I enjoy that, but it doesn't matter. It's not important. You know, you really have to figure out what's important. I think there's also a, another aspect to it, too, where, and you, you know, you're, you're hinting at it in terms of parents being finding the places for themselves, but also I think... For the kids' development, I mean, how much did Spencer have to develop his own sense of confidence and independence because you couldn't do it all for him? Like, he had to also, it's okay for him to pick out his own clothes. It's, you know, my kids have always carried their own suitcases. The rule was, if you pack it, you carry it, right? Or they've managed their clothes, or they pack their backpacks in the morning, or whatever it is. Like, helping the kids learn a little bit of self-sufficiency rather than relying on mom to double check the homework to make sure they have it for this teacher like if you don't get it to school teacher you'll deal with it with the teacher yeah i think the independence and autonomy i'm gonna say that i've given spencer has been so critical as when he was little it wasn't like that um i was really that parent i i have to say the again the pediatrician story I was so concerned he had a neurological problem because he couldn't hold his own bottle and I was very very concerned and I took him to the pediatrician and I said I'm worried he, he seems to be delayed he's not holding his own bottle and she looked at me and she said let it go right. <laughs> <laughs> and 
So I took my hand off the bottle, and lo and behold, he held it on his own. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. But it was quite the wake-up call for me. Step away from your child, because you can do more harm than good in being that parent. And I have literally taught myself to step away. Um, I have checklists all over the house. On the door, I have a checklist, what he needs to put in his soccer bag, what he needs to put in his school bag. And this has been on the door for the past, he's 13 now, I think I put it on the door when he was nine. It changes sometimes, but he has a list. And the funniest thing, at 13 years old, he goes to that door and I see him going through his list to make sure he has what he needs. He has his binder from school, he has his list of what he needs for homework, he, and I'm watching him evolve into this really capable person. And I, I think it has helped him for me to step away and for me not to be there because I haven't had a choice and he hasn't had a choice. I'm just not there. So he needs to make sure that he is okay. I have created a space for him. Um, where I know he's safe, I know who's watching him, I know where he's going. He is not running around New York. There is somebody there picking him up, taking him home, or he's at soccer practice. His life is very structured because it needs to be because of my life. And that structure has created a real routine, predictability, there's calmness. It's worked because there's nothing that comes at us, or when it does, we can manage it, that is coming out of left field. We know what to expect. Every day is anticipated. And um, I think that a schedule and a structure is helpful for not only kids, but also for busy working moms. No question. Let's talk about the work side of your life. Um, yeah. Did you, because people don't realize how hard doctors have it and that your life is not your own and there's a lot of rules especially you were working with hospital practices and they kind of own you and they own your schedule so did you hit up against challenges through the years or did you feel like you got held back or other you know issues as you were juggling all of this because there are a whole lot of people out there that are juggling their own careers or lives that they don't have control over their schedules yeah, I think that for many of us, um, the hardest thing is really how to manage the work piece. Um, in the beginning of my career, well, actually not in the beginning of my career, but when I had a child who I had to take to school, that's when lectures, grand rounds happened. And I didn't have any help. And it really became a problem. What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? I had one morning that I myself was giving grand rounds, and we had a problem with our uh, babysitter who didn't show up that day. Well, guess what? Spencer came to grand rounds with me. I love <laughs> and it. sat in the front right. row, and maybe he was seven years old. Did um, anyone give you a hard time have, about it? Did anyone... um, maybe, but I probably pretended I didn't hear them. 
because there was nothing I could do. Uh-huh. And I was going to show up. And my kid was going to come with me. And he is, is very well behaved because it happened. It happened more than once. And he's been in the front row of a lot of speeches. Um, I remember at that time, it was in OBGYN Grand Rounds. So we were talking about birth and babies. And I was thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, of all the Grand Rounds that he had to come to. But when I was done, I said, did you learn anything? And he said, I think I learned a lot more here today than I would have in school. And I thought, well, that's great. There you go. (laughs) I think that's a, um, that's a really important thing, though, Suzanne, because, you know, people get afraid. Like, the rule is I can't bring my kid in or the rule is I can't um, be on the phone for a phone call or whatever it is. And no, you can break the rules. It's kind of like I always ta- taught my kids at college parties, so you know, that how to say no to somebody. And if somebody offers you a drink or drugs and you say it like you're a little wimpy, then they're going to push you on it. But if you do it with yeah. confidence... And you know you're going to, you know, you're in a solid place. So in this case, you knew you were going to deliver on your grand rounds. You knew you were going to do your job. And you just, with confidence, yeah, your kid's going to be there. And don't let them fluster you. I think that's a huge lesson for people. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think at one point, obviously, you can't bring your kid to work kind of thing. Right. Not all the you time, know, no. Ob- obviously, right. I don't want to bring my kid to work, but unfortunately he's coming. It was kind of like that. Right. Um, I've been very open with my patients. You know, I'm a single mom. My son's here. He doesn't have a babysitter. And he would walk in every, when he was very little, he would come in with his own stethoscope and say hello. Um, sometimes just walk around. And he's come to the office with me enough times that some of my patients know who he is. Um, but this is my life. I feel like I give my all to my patients and they are open with me about their lives. And I, I feel very comfortable in having my son here if need be or telling them I have an emergency, I have to leave or there's something that happens, I have to get my son. Nothing has been perfect. There have definitely been times that things have happened. I've had to cancel patients, Spencer was sick, whatever it was. Um, But I have found that being as honest about the situation and as genuine and and authentic to what's happening, people understand. It's not great, but they understand at the end of the day. And, And that's how I chose to go to work and to manage patients and to manage my whole career. It's, um, it's definitely challenging, but as you say, you have to sort of own it. This is the reality. And the more that you are comfortable with yourself and your own reality, the better it is to manage all these things that you need to at work. Yeah. Do you think that over the last 13 years that um, society is also getting a better understanding of work-life balance and flexibility? A 100%. I used to say when I started, um, it wasn't like women were equal. It's like you had to pretend you were you weren't a woman. You know, you sort of had to like not mention that um, maybe I have a kid kind of thing. Right. And I think that as time has gone on, um, certainly in my field, 
there are more women and more mothers. And so it's not this thing that you were supposed to pretend didn't exist. And so things are much different now than they used to be. Do you think you could have done it all? So you've been a single mom. How would things have been different if you had a spouse? On the one hand, you'd have had help, and on the other hand, you'd have a relationship that you'd also have to nurture that on that end? I don't really know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll answer that. I'll tell you what I do. <laughs> Who is this husband that you're talking about? Um, no, I think it's something know, that I, people, you know, that relationships actually are super hard, and I think... You know, there are a whole lot of divorces that happen when the kids get to high school or college because suddenly these parents who were playing handoff for years now don't know each other. And suddenly, who are you across the dining room table? Um, So there's pros and cons to having someone around. You know, it's interesting. I got divorced when Spencer was three. So we really have lived our lives pretty much alone. And... As hard as it is, I sometimes think it's easier. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I see yeah, some, I agree. some friends. Right. <laughs> I see other people, and I think to myself, I don't know if I could have done that. You know, I don't have to ask anyone anything. I don't ask anyone for permission or their ideas or their thoughts or their input about anything. You know, it, it is my choice. And I'm the parent. And so there's a lot, as I said before, consistency in our lives. I'm a very consistent person. Um, There isn't this extra energy effort that I've had to give to someone else. It has all gone to Spencer, for better or for worse. Um, And like I said, you know, I see some friends who have really challenging marriages, and I don't think I could have done that and be who I am today. I really don't. On the other hand, I think if you have a spouse that is supportive and understanding, I quite frankly think there's nothing better. And if you find that person in your life, I think having help and support is so important. Um, You know, grab onto it and appreciate it. And that's the other thing. I see that some friends who um, don't actually appreciate when they have that. And it, it's a huge difference when you have someone at home that's got your back. I think it's a huge difference. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, there's definitely, when you don't have to have 100% on you, but to your point about your friends that take relationships for granted, I mean, having, I have the, I love my husband. I, we've been married 32 years. He's the best. He's so supportive. Um, but it definitely takes work so that, when I come home at night, I need to, you know, as much as, the, you know, you're talking about you have your writing time and you have all your activities, I have to take my time to be sure that I attend to him and spend time. And I want to spend time with him, but that takes time as well. And I always tell people, like, I make sure every single day you look in their eyes and you say thank you and you say I love you. And that, you know, morning and night, you don't just kind of mumble off to your day or mumble off to bed that it does take nurturing as part of all the pieces that you're juggling. It's not easy. I think at the same time, um, it's really about being present in everything. And it's not that I now need to devote two hours to my husband because I don't think 
that happens in real life, but it's really about being present with them and knowing that you have to give and, and you do have to compromise sometimes. Um, you know, for every time I, I compromise on things personally, I make up for it at another point. And there are, there are things and there have been times over the years that um, I've really, you know, had personal people or issues and things happening that I have committed to because I've wanted to, which is really important. Um, but when that happens, I still have that other side of me that's like, okay, when are you going to put in the writing time? And and it might not be that night or the next morning, but I'll make sure I have time for it. And yeah. there hasn't been a weekend where I just sort of hang out. I've never had that. <laughs> so I might make up for it by waking up earlier on the weekends or something like that. I always make up for it, though, and I think that's what you have to realize. So you've never binge-watched Netflix, have you? Um. I have definitely enjoyed certain things on Netflix, but I definitely don't sit there and really binge anything. I won't do one thing like that for that long. No. I'm with you. I can't even imagine. I, I honestly can't. I like there are series that I'll watch that when I exercise, I'll watch something. But the the thought of sit on the couch all day long and binge watch a series I, just floors me. But not yeah, that. I can't do that <laughs> sometimes it takes me like a week to watch one episode of something <laughs> uh-huh. I fall asleep a few times I'm with you um so let's talk for a minute um about tell us tell me about your new heart your SRS heart let's talk about that for a second because you have nothing else going well, on in your life it has been 20 years ish of me really being in the world of prevention and women in heart health. And after really taking care of patients and really, really understanding women's physiology and really from the prevention side of things, how do we create a lifestyle program that can prevent heart disease in women? I created something that looks at the anatomy, the physiology, the functional capacity, um, the metabolism, genetics, and can create a unique and personalized lifestyle management program for diet and exercise to prevent heart disease in women. It addresses the emotional and psychosocial issues that many of us have to deal with and really looks at a woman holistically. It's something that I've been doing for many years, piecemeal, and then really kind of formulated this strategy and this plan. And it's been really i think a tremendous asset to watching my patients get well and i thought to myself i want to do this i want to focus on women's wellness to focus on women's heart health in a way that empowers them to become the best they can be you know that's what this podcast is about right now how do we become the best we can be and I don't actually separate this conversation from heart health. I think if you don't have this, yep. you don't have any kind of health. And so who we are as women holistically 
drives the rest of the conversation. And I just provide the tools to create something objectively that enables people to become as healthy as they can. Well, and I think also a lot of women don't even know where to start because we are, so many are so out of balance with feeling obliged to do too much for their kids, feeling obliged to family, feeling obliged in so many ways rather than understanding it's okay to, to, to not be everything. It's okay to not be perfect, right? And to take time for themselves. I mean, you've built in within all of it also, you're doing what you love and you build in time for yourself in the midst of that as well. So many women not learning that lesson. So for you to provide that whole structure and path for them so that where they don't even know where to start is huge. I think it is huge. And I think that we don't sort of get the map. Um, you know, when people go on a diet, they'll come in and they'll say, wait, I don't know what to do. Should I do keto, paleo? Um, am I doing this Mediterranean thing? Like, what is it? And I get to say, well, let's look at your metabolism and let's look at your genetics and let's look at how you like to eat. And let's create a strategy for you that works for you, that's tangible, that's based on your uniqueness instead of all this craziness that comes out of the media that some of it is not really something that's personal for you or good for you based on these markers. So this map, this, this playbook, I think is so critical for so many because we can't figure out everything and we can't know everything. Um, I, I think it's so important that we look at health differently. We've been such a reactive medical community in dealing with treatment strategies. But I think the driving force needs to be prevention across the board. And I'm hoping that my SRS Heart program really creates those preventive strategies that are not just sort of esoteric, like diet, exercise, stress management, but are so tangible and so grounded in the science that we can adopt it as a normal way to how to achieve health. Absolutely. Ed, to remind everybody also, and you said this to me a long time ago when we did some videos, heart disease doesn't suddenly show up when you're in the emergency room with a heart attack. Heart, like this is, this 30 year old should be doing this. Cardiac care and yeah. lifestyle prevention starts 20s, 30s is when those- 20s, absolutely. You know, I think about my 20s and I say this, and I've said this to you, I, li I lived on jelly beans and coffee in my 20s. I was in my training. I had no idea. And if I could go back and say to my younger self, which I now say to all women, take care of yourself, get into these habits early, sleep, learn to sleep. It is a learned skill. <laughs> and we're still learning that skill. one. Right. <laughs> life is, it's lifelong I, learning. It's okay. <laughs> you know, I was trained to, to not sleep in my training and I wish I, I learned it. But that all of these things do matter. That at one point you all of a sudden wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm older. And what you did 10 years ago makes a difference. Heart disease takes decades and decades to develop. Um, and really, those choices you make every single day really matter. It's true. All right, you and I could talk for hours, but I'm going to stop now. 
So Suzanne Steinbaum, you're amazing. I said it to start. I will continue to always say that. Thank you so much. SuzanneSteinbaum.com to learn about her, her new SRSHeart.com. Best of luck with your new adventure. And thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm talking to Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, leading cardiologist, speaker, author, and single mother about how to manage work-life balance. No matter your career or your at-home pressures, life is filled with juggling priorities. Without taking control of them, they can easily take control of you, often in an unhealthy way. Suzanne has been providing Bottom Lines readers with her wisdom about staying heart healthy in all aspects of your life for years. Her insights appear regularly in our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, which is filled with information from America's leading experts on not just heart health and emotional health, but on all aspects of your life including living a disease-free life, travel, insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.